Have you seen me dice bag? The Grognard Files Hello, my name is Dirk the Dice and this is the Grognard Files podcast where we talk bobbins about tabletop RPGs from back in the day and today. I'm coming live from my den here in the heart of the northwest of England. It's a bright, cold, wet day in December. The clocks are striking 13. Time is out of joint, and I've got a blooming cold. After a dispiriting 12 months, thank goodness we've avoided the slings and arrows of the real world by hunkering down with games and making grog pods about playing them. If you've listened to our annual reviews previously, you'll know that I do some number crunching to work out the total time that me and my co-host Blythe have done over the year. Most of the time we play together, so don't count these sessions twice. In 2018, we astounded ourselves when it worked out at 230 hours of gaming. This year, we've played even more sessions and 292 hours of play, mostly online over Roll20, but we've also had our games at Eddie's Shed and touring some of the UK conventions. Here on my right is the great library of RPGs and my grognard files. This year we've played loads of different systems too. Legend of the Five Rings, Warhammer, Dragon Warriors, Knights Black Agents, Star Trek Adventures and Fate. We've experimented with old school revival games such as Black Hack, Troika, Open Quest, Mothership and Soul Blades and Cosmic Spells as well as old favourites like D&D, Call of Cthulhu, Traveller and Stormbringer. 30 different systems in total. We thought it was ambitious when we hit 19. Here on my left is the ridiculous homemade shrine to the actor Caroline Monroe. I'll, uh, I'll just give it a tap. My goodness. The Eternal Champion has appeared in her 2017 guise of Clarissa Cobra from the short comedy Frankula. Like the necrotic skin golem, this podcast is sewn together. A patchwork quilt of quality items. But before that, we've had a couple of new reviews. We're always happy to get new reviews as it reminds us that somebody out there is listening and it helps others to find us thanks to those very clever My The Rhythms. We're very close to getting 100 ratings on iTunes so if you're passing, give us 5 stars. It'll be a very satisfying New Year cheer to hit a ton. This is from some guy, I guess. Like the host of this podcast, I was well into RPGs in the early 80s living in the northwest of England. I was a couple of years younger than these guys, but many of the people I played with were the same age as them, so the show brings back some very vivid memories, and I played a lot of the scenarios, read a lot of the articles, and came up against a lot of the issues that they refer to. I haven't been involved in the game since the late 80s, so it's fascinating to find out what's happening to the hobby now, from the perspective of people whose experience was so similar to mine. Thanks, some guy. In this episode, we have the second part of the interview with Jamie Thompson, a key figure of the White Dwarf editorial team back in the day. 
In this part, he faces the Games Master screen and shares some of the key projects that he's been involved in during his long career in gaming and writing, such as his contribution to the fighting fantasy series, his Way of the Tiger books, his experiences in the world of video gaming, how he came to be a best-selling children's author with the help of the Dark Lord, and his continuing adventures in the Fable Glands games books, which are a tour de force of the format. Me and Blythe are down at the pub, not our usual, for reasons that are too complicated and boring to go into here, but it's one of the dodgy ones in Bolton, where there's a very squeaky toilet door, a sporadic jukebox, and a big fat chocolate Labrador who wanted to be part of the act. They've recently moved the bar, done some more work to look after their beer, covered the mould with white emulsion, and yet there's still this pervading smell of effluent. It'll make you feel like you're there. It's more rambly than usual, so take your time. I've devised an innovative new feature to help us to review what we've played over the last 12 months in two parts separated by a contribution from a member of the Grog Squad. One of the best developments we've made to the Grog Pod this year has been the introduction of the first, last and everything. This time, the Grog Squad contribution is a bit different. Alex Kelly contacted me with a piece for the forthcoming Grogzine, titled It Starts With Dice. He'd written it for a spoken word event at Leeds Beckett University called Hobby Horses in 2008, before it went on tour with his company Third Angels. It's aimed at non-gamers trying to explain the appeal of the hobby. At the point it was written, Alex wasn't playing RPGs anymore and couldn't imagine playing them again. Two years ago, another Grog Squad sleeper, awakened by the podcast, Roger Coe, who you might know for his stunning contribution to the Grogzine, invited Alex to start playing again, so he thought it would be good to revisit this story. It was conceived as a spoken word piece, so rather than print it, I encouraged him to record it for us. I'll be back at the end to give some more podcast recommendations and to tell you about the next Grogzine. Rumblers, let's get rumbling. <laughs> Okay, I'm back with Jamie Thompson. We're just going to erect this screen in front of us. I'm going to roll on a table, apparently at random, and pick some projects uh, from uh, Jamie's career. And first up, it's uh, Fighting Fantasy Game Books, The Way of the Tiger. We've talked about this um, last time a little bit, but just tell us about your involvement with Fighting Fantasy, because you, you were one of the first authors, weren't you, Talisman of Death, who, who yes. wasn't uh, Ian Livingston or Steve Jackson. Jackson. Yeah, I think I was one of the first... Was I the first? No, Scorpion Swamp. Scorpion Swamp was the other Steve Jackson, I think. Yeah. Anyway, so, yeah, so the books had been so successful back in the day that the the publisher couldn't get enough of them, so they wanted as many as they could do as quickly as possible. So they did Steve and Ian Presents. And there were literally only a few people in the country that could could write game books at that time. And they were all pretty much Games Workshop folk because helping with the editing of their of their books and you know it caused quite a bit of uh, 
tension in, in the office as well because it was like Ian and Steve were no longer concentrating on the business. Increasingly, unsurprisingly, you can't blame them, doing the game books. It's part of one of the reasons that uh, they were sold up to allowed Brian Lansall to take over with Citadel. Was, was t- they were coming into work at like eight in the morning and then in the evening they were just writing game books mm. the whole time and it was like just too much. They couldn't handle it and then they were off to, you know, they wanted time to spend with their wives and children and they then they were off to japan on game book signing tours and stuff like that and they enjoyed that that was much more fun so that caused some resent you know some people thought they should have done the books through the business but anyway that's it that's it um rather than but anyway so the point is they were so successful that so we just bring other people in so we were ready to go with the world of war we wrote talisman of death in longhand in pencil in those days and then I typed it up in Ian Livingston's office because he had like one of the first top grade word processors in the country back then I can't remember I think think it cost a fortune in money to buy but um, it was like everything else was typewriters before then we still had a golf ball printer on the IBM (laughs) Uh, IBM golf ball printer on White Dwarf before they kept upgrading the technologies and moved quite quickly yes so that was the beginning of the Mark and I, I mean Smith and I, we could walk into a publisher in those days. They would offer us money on the spot for a game book series. There was literally Joe Diva, Gary Short, me and Min, Dave Morris, and then Herbie Brennan, who did the Grail Quest things, was non-workshop, but he came along later until they'd worked it out. But literally anyone at Games Workshop knew how the whole process worked and, and understood the whole role-playing thing. Uh, was suddenly in massively massively in demand. We did Talisman of Death, then I left Workshop before, it was going to go to Nottingham anyway, So, but we got such a good offer to do Way of the Tiger, it was expanding on the world of Orb, and then that led on to Falcon and Dual Master and Fable Lands, and, yeah, so we just walked straight into a, we were going to do 12 books, but the same thing sort of happened to us, we got so burnt out, we'd done like, in just a matter of a few years, we'd done Dual Master, Falcon, Way of the Tiger, Sword of the Samurai, we just couldn't do any more. I don't think people appreciate now how much of a phenomenon they were, weren't they? Gaming before computers really uh, took hold, wasn't it? Yeah. And now there's a lot of uh, nostalgia for them. So you say, do you attend the fighting fantasy festivals? I did the last couple, yes. Last time I was there, a couple turned up with a suitcase and another couple of guys turned up with a suitcase. And they were both full of all the books I'd ever written. <laughs> I spent hours signing them all because <laughs> the annoying thing is whenever I sign a book to someone I've got into the habit of adding a death paragraph if it's a get old game book so often, sometimes I get like pristine copies of Talisman of Death and the original cover mm. and everything or the reprints that we've done on uh, not Talisman of Death we've done by the time so I'll always add like to Chris the Cruel everyone gets an evil dark lord name Chris the Cannibal you'd be and then I'll sign some comment, and then at the end I'll say, turn to paragraph 401, and at the back I'll write 401, Chris steps off the bus and is hit by a meteorite, death is instant. <laughs> or Chris steps with the, like, the ninjas on the roof, loop a, 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 a lasso around his neck, and I remember the term, garot, death is, you die in gurgling agony in the high street of Oxford, wherever you live. So it's a lot of fun, so it takes me a while to write, <laughs> sign his books. So doing a suitcase full of them. <laughs> yes. And of course, then when I say couple, I mean like people of your age. Yes. Let's, uh, let's go back to the table. Seven. So that's uh, the Tower of Despair. 
Ah, the Tower of Despair. First ever computer game written at Workshop, for Workshop. And so it was like the early Games Workshop computer game series they did. And I think it was Spectrum, C64, and the other one. Anyway, so that was a text adventure game using a system called the Quill, which is an early innovative text adventure system. But the innovation we brought in was to use a sort of game game booky picture thing. So you'd get your cassette and you'd put it in. There were two cassettes and it would take forever to load on your C64. Then it was the old school text adventure, go north, search, swamp, get sword, that kind of thing. A bit more complicated than that. But we'd also did a pamphlet that went in the in the box full of pictures, drawn beautiful drawn pictures by one of the White Dwarf artists, Tony Martin, I think, I can't remember his name. So it would say in the text, refer to page 42, picture of the Angel of Death, and there would be lots of clues in that picture that we would have to work out. And so that was something new that had to be done. So we were trying to put graphics into it, because, of course, at those days, they, you couldn't have graphics. There, there wasn't, you know, you could have maybe a, a scrolly, font but you, there was no such thing as actual computer graphics until cga came along which was graphics computer graphics card something like that and then they got to ega and then vga it was like these machines were powered by stuff that we have on our watches now that was the start of part of your career has been in uh, computer gaming hasn't it and uh, yeah. writing for that so just tell yeah. us a little bit about that and how, how that came about well i suppose i'd done that early computer game thing and a bit of other stuff at Workshop on computer games. And in the 90s, game books kind of dried up. We'd done Fabled Lands, which that's one of the most intricate and innovative game book series ever, I suppose. Yeah. I suppose I could say that, really. I mean, they were pretty amazing. People do do copies of them now. Uh, well, not copies, but, you know, try and re, re, recreate them. And even so, the, the t- sales were, were tailing off. Computer games were taking over completely. Computer games basically killed game books until they, they became retro and fun again, with, along with board games, if you couldn't come back. So it was time to get into computer games. So um, I gave Ian Limiston a ring. He was doing a Death Trap Dungeon uh, computer adaption and just got a job there. And then a few years later, a sort of similar thing happened where we there was closing down in terms of development of IDOS. So I, I took the team that they were closing down and with me and set up a, a games company for a few years. A few years. And then the publisher that we were working with at that time in 2005, I think, 2004 or five, went bust, owing us something like half a million quid's worth of royalties. And we employed about 20, 22 people. Without that, we couldn't go on, you know, our wages now had to close it down. And then I sort of went back to kind of writing for computer game companies, various types, and mm. also my own books. To like, did you ever play Fable? Oh, yeah, I've played Fable, yeah a bunch of dialogue and storylines and all that for that they had a team of writers for that computer games are getting to the point now where you have I had to write 10,000 lines of dialogue for that I was just one of several writers I mean, right. any of these big games you could think you could imagine how much you, know, you walk down the street and people talk it's just the random background dialogue that has to be written and the simple stack of words everywhere on inventories and little storylines and main plots not even counting the main plot. So computer games nowadays actually have indescribable amounts of words that need to be written and often recorded. Better. Okay, Okay, next up, uh, this is a six, and this is uh, The Dark Lord. Ah, The Dark Lord. It's only through uh, researching you, um, 
some biography of that. I found that he, he'd done these. Uh, After 30 years of basically selling goblins to kids, and actually mostly adults, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's sort of, I've got this strange sense of humour, and it seemed I'd created so many big bad guys and played against so many big bad guys and enjoyed so many big bad guys, so many of them kind of a bit two-dimensional. Like even Darth Vader is only years and years later that they think they should tell his backstory. Mm. If you think about the first three films, it's not even mentioned. You don't even have to bother to ask why. Even Sauron is um, Sauron is just evil for the sake of being evil. You have to dig down into the Cimmerillon and uh, the appendices to find out his backstory. And it's only really in recent years that the whole concept of telling the bad guy, telling the story from the bad guy's point of view, has become very fashionable. So I, I sort of got in there a bit early-ish and wanted to tell the story of the bad guy. And then I also realised that if I did tell the story straight, it would be like having Hitler as your hero. No one would like it. Mm. The adult things do have nowadays. There's one series, Prince of Thorns, have you read that fantasy? No, I think, yeah, yeah. I had to give that up because the bad guy, the main guy is the bad guy and he was so evil. Even I couldn't, didn't stomach it. He was such a bastard. I hated it, and it was a part of what you're supposed to do in it. But you know, it's, I don't know. But anyway, so I knew I had to be comedy. And I started to write it, and then it, then it was only after I kind of written half the book that I realised it was for kids. It just worked so well. That's not true. That's not true because Dave and I came up with the idea, and we first played around with all sorts of ideas for how we were going to do it. And it was only when we hit on the idea of setting it into a school we realised it was going to work, and then it had to be for kids. What I meant was that I only realised it was for nine-plus kids when I'd halfway through the books. You don't really know necessarily when you're writing. Well, I would now, I suppose, but at the time, it just felt right for that age group. Because um, the amount of fun that you can have of Sauron going to a school in Sussex, it was just, <laughs> it was just, it was such fun. And uh, my sense of humour has been exacerbated in that area since then but it was always in that way anyway the comedy value of why you want to conquer the earth you know what's the reason for that and to make up some stuff and make it funny so that was a lot of fun and the first one won the world Dial funny prize in 2012 and i beat david williams wow <laughs> he tweeted congratulations to jamie thompson i look forward to reading his book i of course have been going around saying eat it williams <laughs> he's kind of has you know, done a lot of damage in one sense to, the, to professional kids authors. Hmm. So now loads of comedians are jumping on the bandwagon and doing kids books, so it's much harder to sell your stuff if you haven't got, if you're not already famous. Yes. There are, there are um, a big group of them, aren't they? Um, yeah. And a kid's actors, one for Christine O'Connell, Radio Boy, and the celebrities mm -hmm. seem to be cornering yeah. the market, the yeah. name recognition. Yeah. Then they get someone else to write them. Not always, mm -hmm. sometimes, quite often. And then it just goes straight into the front window of Waterstones cause, and they suck up all of the money and they get the big advances and the marketing. It's pre-marketed from the point of view of the seller, so it's a tricky one. But yeah, so then there was four books in the Dark Lord series and they, uh, they're they in America, Spain, France, Germany, Czech Republic. Recently they've been sold to somewhere unusual, I can't remember where it was, Bulgaria. But um, to varying degrees of success, sadly, the Americans really tried hard, but they couldn't get it to work in America. They did a hardback and then a different cover, and the, the people who published it loved it, but didn't really take off in America. 
and also in Spain they put a lot of effort they loved it but it hasn't really worked in Spain and it's done quite well in France and very well in Germany and it's enormously popular in Czech Czech Republic for some reason (laughs) (laughs) and well done on getting the uh, Royal Dahl Prize because of course uh... victory (laughs) I didn't even have to kill anyone (laughs) goblin head on the pillow of the judges didn't um, uh, Talisman of Death knock uh, Royal Dahl off the bestsellers charts when it came out I don't know if Talisman of Death is, but certainly there was a point where the the top three books in the country were like the first three fighting fantasy books, mm-hmm. something like that. They knocked everyone else off. Else off yeah. Okay, uh, final roll of the uh, dice. Okay, and it's uh, it's a four, and uh, we mentioned this a couple of times. Uh, but Fable Land. So just tell us about Fable Land if uh, people are not aware of it. And well, what that is. by that point, Dave and I, and Min. Whereas this was mostly just me and Dave, but we'd written so many linear storylines, like most game books, storylines. And we started playing computer games. We were starting to move into these open world systems, mm-hmm. but there are lots and lots of little plots, like early might and magics and uh, incredibly complex wizardry. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of those. And we were playing all these games with our CGA graphics cards and trying to scrape money together to buy a EGA graphics card. I'm reminded of it. 2000 or something where I bought a computer with 30 meg hard drive 2 meg of RAM and a 16 megahertz thing with a UGA card cost £2,500 or something <laughs> 1990-something so you can imagine it was incredibly expensive just 2 meg of RAM something. <laughs> anyway so those are the sort of computers, a lot of text based not very much graphics but they were moving in that open world direction so we were thinking wouldn't it be cool how can we literally do a computer game without a computer so we had this vast, intricate, fable lands world. And for game book fans, well, they probably know it already, but the whole code word system, we wanted to have a thing where it felt like what you did changed the world that you were in. Mm. So um, the code word system meant you go to the ogre's lair and kill the ogre. Next time you go back there, the ogre's dead, but uh, some other creature's taken over the lair, or the ghost of the ogre is waiting for you, seeking revenge. And you could also do things like kill the the king of a country and that would change the way the cities in that country treated you or how they you know, direct you to another paragraph. We wanted to create a huge open world too so you could travel from one book to another. So in a way paragraph numbers became like locations. Mm. So I remember in book one one of the books in paragraph ten is always yellow port. So whenever you go to that port you go there and then you get filters, tick boxes, code boxes that take you elsewhere according to what you've done there before. And then you could also get a boat to another land and a wonderful Ross Nicholson map. And um, if you got a boat to that other lone city, for instance, or uh, a flight or magical teleportation or whatever, you would turn to a paragraph number in another book. So they all had to... So it turned into like 750 paras in every book. And because of that, everything had to be really short and concise. Mm. So we also wanted to fill it. There is no overall single plot. You can get, you have all these different character classes, and it's like an open world role playing game in a single player book form. And it was very intricate and complicated. But by then we were at the height of our game book powers, and uh, we were able to do this stuff. I'm not sure if I could handle the flowcharts now. It'd be so complicated. <laughs> we were all back and forth and making it all work. And I still remember Russ dropping a. Russ Nicholson dropping a, a splodge of black ink onto the map he was working on. You know, oh no! 
and that became the hole in the world. <laughs> so we haven't yet written up what happens in the hole in the world, but that was great. So it was, um, you know, Russ contributed quite a lot to that sort of thing. The wonderful, it was very important to have the map, and, and then each book would have its own mini map of the area that the book was set in, and you could use that to travel around. So if you wanted to head to the city of the Dragon Knight or whatever, to Castle Dragon Knight, so it would be on the map, and you could see that you needed to go north. And so there was like a whole grid of paragraph locations that represented geography hmm. in the book form. So paragraph 43 would always be that area of the map. And it's the sort of thing that's been used for board games now. It was a great thing to have created. Is that is it out of print now? So it, it, you can't get hold of Well, that. we've republished them. So you can buy them on Amazon.co.uk and .com and probably a few other places, but they're just print on demand. Um, and we couldn't afford to do them in the lovely old format where they had these fold-out things on either side. So the in, they'd be like little inside extra bits of the jacket, book jackets. The book jacket was actually four pieces of cardboard. So you could pull it out and they'd have the manship manifest on one side and the character sheet and that, and it all lay out. It's beautiful. But um, they charged too much for them, I think. Could have No, no, they could have charged more. That was the point. They should have charged more because they were quality products. Yes. That um, the sales just weren't there for the numbers in the old days, but they could have had the dying game book fanatics would have paid an extra pound per book at least, and maybe yeah. we could have done all of them. But we've done the seventh one now with some help from a chap called Paul Gresty, who's still young and can handle flowcharts. <laughs> <laughs> and that was a Kickstarter. So there's still a flavour out there for uh, an appetite for these game books. So we've done a Where the Tiger book seven a couple of where tiger and uh where the tiger and a couple and a fable lands kickstarter that's raised enough money for us to get them written and published you don't really make much money out of it but there's nothing at all really but there's um there's a fan base out yes. there and it's yeah. just nice to still have them well thank you very much for spending the time with us uh jane i really appreciate it and uh i want to go away and play killer now yes <laughs> well my ninjas are already on their way. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Yeah, you, you have to. The only way to save yourself is to be able to show them all four Dark Lord books that you've recently bought, <laughs> or, or at least one, and then you pretend the um, or it's the blow dart for you. <laughs> I'll, I'll run to the uh, bookshop now with uh, yes. <laughs> over the rooftops. What are your, what are your kids called? Uh, Amelia and Aiden. Amelia and Aiden, both A's. Yes. So they always have to have Dark Lord names, so it would be Amelia the Assassin, Aiden the Anarchist. <laughs> I always like to, when I, I do a lot of school visits with the Dark Lord show, and then often there's sales of books afterwards, they come up on their book side. A is quite a common one, and I always have to resist putting Aiden the Arsonist. <laughs> a, like the teachers don't really like that one. They no. might give them ideas that they're going to burn the school down. Yeah. But I could have the abomination. Yeah. Or the, uh, or the, the assassin. assassin. Yeah. And it's just fine. Or, yeah. But just don't yeah. start any fires in school. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the room of role playing rambling. We're actually in the pub um, for this year's review of the year. We've got the pub dog with us. Hello, dog. Yeah. You say actually in the pub as if we've, we've never done it in the pub. 
Uh, this year probably done more from the pub than any I other know, place. So know, yeah. it's a common, common occurrence. Yeah. It says a lot about the state of the world that it we does, find yes. ourselves yeah. in the pub more often than not. Last year I think I promised that we were going to have a glitzy event. I think I promised uh, Billy Crystal, didn't I? Or yes. some celebrity yeah, to present or some the other celebrity. Yeah. Yes. But I've I've decided to abandon no, the no. groggies altogether. Hmm. Why is that? Well, I think we should have a fallow year of the uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. It just feels like we're facing an existential crisis. You know, the world's going to end. We shouldn't be wasting time on frivol- frivolities. Giving out like, awards. Yeah. Giving out awards. This yeah, is not a time for awards. Giving out awards to. What about the people who don't win them? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's an emergency. <laughs> it is an emergency. <laughs> Post-apocalyptic Britain. It is. <laughs> not quite, but we're on the cusp. We're on the cusp, on the cusp of it. Yeah. So what I thought I'd do, this is a new innovation, this. It's okay. never been done before. Never been done. Right. This is the first time on the Grognard Files. It's a new thing, a new approach to doing things. Yeah. What I've got here is a set of random questions to oh, okay. promote discussion. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And we'll go through them like a storm. You know, okay. the effects of a storm, yeah. you know. All right. I'm going to call it the thunder phase. Okay. Thunder phase. Thunder phase. We have to say it together oh, okay. and then read out the question. And this has never been done before. Never been and done. And nothing before. like it. Nothing. Nothing ever... like it's been done before. Nothing. In a podcast. Never. In a gaming. No. Nothing. Nothing. Never. No. Right. Okay. I like, I like, good. We'll I'm see all if it for works. innovation. We'll, we'll see done. if it works. You're not copying it off anyone. No, I'm not. No. It's new. Okay. All right. It's new. Right. Here it goes. Shall I go first? You go first. Okay. Yeah. One, two, three. Thunder, Thunder phase. phase. Yeah, we'll get used to it. Blunder phase. <laughs> All right, here we go. <laughs> go. On. What setting would you visit for a day? What setting would you visit for a day? What setting would I visit for a day? Mm. Well, most settings are quite dangerous, aren't they? Yeah. That, that's the thing with settings. All right, saying I'd go to, uh, I don't know, the ninth world, but it's kind of full of monsters and crazy robots. Yeah. It's not, it's not somewhere you'd really I'd, want to go. I want to. Um, you know, not be at risk. I don't yeah, which is system. difficult with the role playing setting because they they are risky, aren't they? Um, well, basic sanitation is an issue for most places, I'd say. Middle Earth. Only a day. You could maybe cop. <laughs> <laughs> Take some modium before you go, and you'd be all right. You know, you'd probably get through the day. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think encountering a man-eating monster. Crazed robot. That's more of more an more immediate problem. I'm just thinking the hygiene factors first. Yeah, I'd worry about being eaten. So, so, no, I, so, I so think, the places you, you you've visited over the last twelve months, which is a I think I would go to Waterdeep. Waterdeep, the D and D city of Waterdeep. Part, partly because it is probably not as dangerous as some of the other places. You know, not good to the the world of Warhammer that we've played. You know. You know, places like that, full of disease and terribleness. Yeah. But Waterdeep's fairly safe. And Imagine as well that the sanitation's taken care of. But it prob- probably is. It's like everything in D&D, isn't it? Yeah. Street, magical street lamps and all that. You know, complete hokum. One of the most uh, it's one of the interesting things I read on Twitter was someone tweeted and said, what's the weirdest setting you've ever played in? And someone tweeted back and said, the D&D ones, yeah. Sword Coast. And I think you're right, it's kind of odd, isn't it? Like, yeah. you know, 
Yeah. But but it's probably safe. And I could visit the tavern that you and your yeah, characters set up in, uh, in Dragon House. Yeah. So I could have a drink in there. Yeah. And we could uh, we could profit from it. Yeah. And my characters. You could profit from it. Yeah, the characters had, might few gold pieces. Yes. Would, uh, get a few gold pieces. Uh, well, I probably visiting. go there because I think it's it's a, not because it's my favourite setting by any stretch of the imagination, but it <laughs> it'd just be funny. <laughs> it's funny to see it. Like, does this really work? Then, come on, magic user on every street corner. Really, that's not going to work, is it? <laughs> Where would I go? So, where have I visited this? I feel like I've gone through um, a lot of settings. Do you know? Mm. I quite like the uh, Deadland setting. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it is uh, a good setting, that isn't it? That we've recently. I wasn't convinced at first. I thought well, it might be a bit daft, this, but actually, it's really good, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So it's a Wild West mm. steampunk, yeah, type mm. thing with ghosts as well. Yeah, like supernaturals kind of seeped into the Wild West. And what's good about having it set in the Wild West is that there's a bit of cliche that you can fall back on. That yeah. is. Mm. There's like a common ground amongst the players yeah. to understand yeah. how you would respond, how you react. Yes. But it, it's not um, that cliche that there's something a little bit different about it as well. Yeah. So you, you're not quite aware of uh, what value things have or things like that. So I'd like to... Yeah, like to it is a good setting. Like I said, it, when, when Gaz first floated it, I thought, well, we'll see, but I, it's never struck me as... Appealing, yeah. but now I've played in it a few times. It's very appealing because, as you say, it's got it's got some of the it's got some of those kind of cliched things about westerns. So you all know the kind of characters you play in, so you can pluck characters from westerns, and you've got you've got a sense of an immediately rounded character, even though they may be a bit of a cliche. You know, like me, I'm a kind of gunslinger, and you think, oh yeah, you've got you know gunslingers in films. You watch loads of films like that. You know exactly what you're doing, don't you? Yeah, you know, and that that's good. But also, it's got that difference to it with the supernatural and the yeah. steampunk stuff um, that that works. You know, because in my imagination, I thought it was like uh, The Walking Dead, but with yes, uh, yes. weird science. But it's not quite like that, is it? It's a bit richer. It's a bit richer in it, and it has a bit more of a story to why all this stuff is happening and yeah. why the steampunk stuff's there. It's not just steampunk because we want some steampunk, the kind of ghost rock stuff and the spook juice it fueling these machines is is part of it. There's a sort of I said I'd always use the word logic because obviously it's it's fantasy stuff, but there's a sort of fantasy logic as to why it's like that, which yeah. is, is is very good actually. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd visit there and I'd order sarsaparillas all round, right, and try to avoid getting into a gunfight. Yeah, <laughs> thunder phase. You're not very convinced. I'm not. I'm not convinced. Go on. <laughs> right, go on. Sure, you not nicked it from somewhere else. No. All right. <laughs> okay. Here we, go. Well, here we go. Right. what (laughs) what has made you sigh when you've seen it on a character sheet right what has made you sigh when you've seen it on a character sheet so is that a sighing pleasure or a sigh doesn't say you've written it (laughs) your question what do you think (laughs) sighing pleasure like like yeah it just sometimes happens doesn't it yeah Ooh, I like that. Look at that box there. Ooh, armor class. Mm. Yes, little shield. Um, no, I, yeah, I, th- I make it. I think it's. I suspect. Correct me if I'm wrong because you wrote it. <laughs> you can correct me if I'm wrong because I will be wrong because you wrote it. Um, 
I imagine it means sires, you know. God. Because mm. oh. yeah. maybe the same, but sometimes when I'm considering getting a game or I've signed up, to, thinking of signing up to play a game that I've not played before, I do. I just Google the character sheet, Google Images character sheet, fill in blank for a game. Yeah. And sometimes looking at the character sheet for a game does give you an insight into what to expect, I think. Yes. Um, so, and sometimes you're right, you do, you do look at them and go, Oh, yeah. So, what what encourages you that? Because for me, it's um, a formula. When you see a formula on there, yes, that it's calculated instead of like the result. You see, you see what I mean? Yeah. So you get it, and it says like uh, ten divided by five. Oh yeah, yeah, no, yeah. It, yeah. All, all I'm uh, all I'm interested in is two because that's the number I'm, I need. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you see on a character. Yeah, I, I think. Fussy character sheets can be off-putting when there's lots of information on. It's usually an indication that the game is quite complicated, and that can be a bit yeah. off-putting. It's like people are put off by skill lists, but sometimes I quite like that because it communicates yeah. what you can do. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. But I have to say, this this year has been the year of of me getting into simpler games with simpler character sheets. I do like a simple character sheet where I think, okay, right, there's not much on this, but there's enough to play the game. So we've played things like Black Hack, haven't we? Um, and stuff like that. That's quite very simple, isn't it? Very simple. Monster of the Week, you know, Apocalypse. We're yeah. powered by the Apocalypse. Again, simple, relatively simple character sheets. I mean, I say that simple character sheets, but they do the playbook thing, don't they? But... Yeah. They are simple. They are They're simple. simple to use. They're yeah. simple to use. You're just ticking boxes and it's telling you exactly what you need to do and how you need to do it. So I think, for me, the thing that always makes me sigh is when I see a lot of a lot of what looks complicated stuff on a character sheet. Yeah. And if a character sheet goes to two sides, that that is always... I, I put it to you. That once a character sheet strays beyond the one side of A4, you're in trouble. See, I've uh, produced for uh, conventions I've attended uh, this year, um, character sheets, because that's part of my prep now, that when I'm creating an, uh, an adventure, start with the characters. And so for Psy World, I created characters. Yeah, yeah. But I did use both sides. I had one side that was like the active side, and the uh, the back of it was like all the stuff that would always stay still, if you see what I mean. Yeah, so, uh, well, yeah, I've, I've done that work. I've put on the back of a character sheet, you know, descriptions of spells and things like that. That's not quite what I mean. I think, I think, I remember getting the Numenera character sheet has always been a bit of a thorn in our side, hasn't it? Because I've never seen a good Numenera character sheet. Um, and I remember getting the PDF a few years ago of the Numenera um, character portfolio, and it was several pages. And I, I do, for me, once you get into that, I know. Bad, it's a bad sign. It's a bad right. sign. You did not played Vert with me, have you? You no. not played Vert. Have you seen my Vert character sheets? I, I have. Yeah, yeah. And I've got that down. Yeah, a lot. That's down. Yeah. And but I, I think that was focused on the game that we're going to play. So I cut out everything else. Yeah, and you can do that happen. for like one shots, can't you? But if in the game as it stands, I think once you once you're drifting onto more than one sheet, I start to worry. You know? Yeah. So music starting, so it must be time for Thunder Phase. Right, it's my turn, isn't it? <laughs> it's going well, isn't it? So far, this right here goes. 
What's the strangest thing that you've used on the tabletop this year? What's the strangest thing you've used on the tabletop? Um, it's that difficult for me because I don't use much stuff on the table. I'm a theatre of the mind theatre character. Of the mind. Um, well, let, I don't know if it's strange. I know it's strange, but it worked quite well. I bought some wooden RPG tokens from a place called Redberry, called Redberry Crafts, and they do little. They, 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 they market them as D and D tokens, but yeah. you could use them for any kind of fancy game. And they have like they're like wooden little wooden discs with a with an engraving on of various you know little wizard hat. Oh, that's the wizard monsters yeah. and stuff like that. And they use them. That uh, go play, go play. Yes, yeah. after and and they're good. Is it? They're a cheaper alternative to figures, miniatures, you know. And also, they're kind of hassle-free because the two the two alternatives with miniatures you've got are always use proper miniatures that require painting and are quite expensive, or make your own, which require a degree of skill. I have no skill and little money. So yeah. the, these are they were a great alternative. So um, they place markers then. Yeah, they're yeah. like tokens for your, your characters. characters. Yeah, so yeah. they're like they're like a size of a the, the normal ones are like the size of a ten p piece. Yeah, a bit thicker than that, made out of wood. And the bigger ones they go up to kind of like size of a I don't know a drinks coaster kind of thing for a yeah. monster with a monster drawn engraved etched on it. And uh, they're good. They're all right. They're nice. Yeah, they're nice. They're nice. They have a nice feel to them. A nice sort of look to them. But they're not expensive, and they're useful if, although we all use, I'm theatre of the mind, as you know, but sometimes you do need, it's good to know where everybody is. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and they, they're useful from that perspective. I, I find that with um, Savage Worlds again. So this time last year we were talking about how we, uh, I was planning my uh, Strontium Dog game, wasn't mm. I? And uh, I ran that at Convergence and at UK Games Expo. And I'm a normally a theatre of mind person, but what I realise with Savage Worlds is that it does, because it's got its origins in a skirmish game, in a miniatures yeah. game, I think you do need um, some tokens. So I went for a big production, I went for <laughs> Lego minifigs, you know, I <laughs> well went done. full out yeah. uh, for on it, you know, because it's all based around a crashed spaceship mm. and um, the character's trying to approach it and there's like a. Um, jury rigged gun that can cause yeah. a lot of damage in the middle you played it haven't you yeah. when I played it in Convergence you see the thing is as soon as you start that you see as soon as you start that process of using figures yeah. the substitute situation comes in of course it, it does yeah. Yeah. yeah so the, imagine this great valley um, it, I, I'd say it was like the Grand Canyon but I had to represent like the buttes you know the monuments mm, yeah yeah. And um, so I ended up using um, bottles of hobgoblin. <laughs> so it got to the stage where people couldn't drink the drinks because they were representing the scenery. <laughs> Don't touch that. Leave yeah. that cup there. Yeah. <laughs> and to show how inexperienced I was at these kind of tabletop skirmish games, I forgot to bring anything to measure, like the range. The whole mm. idea was... You know, you yeah. The whole point is the range and the advantages and disadvantages of range. But yeah, yeah, I didn't have anything to measure it with, so I ended up using my uh, iPhone to measure the distance. And so I said, "Oh yeah, that's uh, five iPhone uh, range." <laughs> so it was like the length, just measuring it across. 
And uh, I was getting all kinds of tips, like, you know, bring some dough with it marked off and things like that. You know what tip I give you? Don't bother. <laughs> Don't bother. Don't bother. That's my tip too. I, I do think, I, I must admit, that is the problem, isn't it? You, it's never it's never satisfactory. No. Never quite satisfactory, no. is it? That's that's one of the problems with any of that. I do think theatre of the mind is, is always yeah. the way to go. Yeah. I really enjoyed uh, doing the Strontium Dog game. And as we said about um, Savage Worlds and Deadlands and Savage Worlds with that kind of Western feel, it really works. It does work. It's better, isn't it, I think? Yeah, yeah the cards work better because it, yeah, it's a Western. I've been playing cards. is somehow fitting, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Played a lot of uh, Savage Worlds, and I'm I'm not 100 percent convinced by it, but um, mm. I like it in certain situations and it handles certain things really well. Yeah, I'm still trying to get my head around uh, the subtraction then division to work out the edge uh, the raises. Well, I think the ra- yeah the raises and the I mean the, the new one, the new Savage Worlds cuts down the raises a bit, doesn't it? Yeah, damage it was- and things. Yeah, but you're still, you're still working out. You're still subtracting from four or whatever the yeah, target number yeah, is. Yeah. And if you've got an exploding dice, you're then dividing that by uh, yeah. uh, four. Is that wounds as well? We, we are, it's fair to say we are hit point guys. Yeah. We are hit point kind of guys, aren't we? That is what we like. They don't have to be called hit points, but the equivalent of hit points, a yeah. number. And the more of those, that number I lose, the more trouble I'm in. Yeah. Is, is, whereas, like you say, when you've got to remember... Uh, particularly with, and it's not, it's not just true of, um, it's not just true of Savage Worlds, is that I've played quite a bit of Fate, and Fate has the same issue that when you start giving people wounds, or you give them, uh, consequences in Fate that are effectively like injuries, you have to remember, as a games master, that they've got them. Yeah. They have to remember. Yeah. And you've got to remember, whereas the hit point, the number, that number going down from 10 to 7 yeah. to 3, well, oh lot, I'm in trouble. It's kind of obvious to everybody yeah. what's going on, and particularly if you end up with uh, five or six players, yeah. it, it can be tricky to manage. Yeah. Hang on, who's wounded now? Who's shaken? Who's wounded? Yeah, you know. And same with fair. Who's got a consequence? No, hang on. Now, I've, hang on. I've, that consequence, that injury, whatever it is, I've got to think of something has been triggered for free ones. To trigger it again, I've got to use a fair point as a games master. But I've also got to remember that you've got it. And, you know, oh, it can be hard work. Yeah. It can be very, very hard work. Thunder phase. Sorry, missed it there. Where's your going? It's my go. Get off. Oh, no, see. Ah, go for that one. <laughs> Which session has changed your mind about a game for good or ill? Which session has changed your mind about a game for good or ill? That was one of your questions. It is one of my questions. Almost like I know the answer. Yeah. Well, almost like I've got well, something to talk about. Yeah. Well, you talk about what you want to talk about. Then the, change, I'll have a the thing that changed my view of a game significantly. And gone, the dog's That's strange noise. The dog having a drink. Having a drink. The pub dog having a drink. What's the pub dog called? I don't know. Anyway. Um, the thing that changed my view of a game for, for ill, for ill, I think, for ill is a game of 5th edition D&D that I played at Expo. Right. I think it was the Friday night. There was nothing there was nothing inherently wrong with it as a game. So I wouldn't I wouldn't put it down as a nightmarish experience and I wouldn't put the game as master down as terrible or the players. None of that. 
Not, nothing like that. But, but what it made me realise was there was three or four of the players were friends who played D&D together. And the way they played it, and I, I think this is the, the game, this isn't a criticism of because I think the game lends its, takes you in this direction. It was, it was incredibly tactical. Yeah. It was, we, you know, we went into a room and there were some sea hags chanting a thing and it was like, okay, so I'm going to try and cast silence on the sea hags. Uh, what's the range? The range, hang on. So where are you? All right, the range is, it's only got this range. Uh, so you're just slightly out of range and uh, it only, so hang on, I've got initiative, therefore I can cast it but they've got counter spell. Now counter spell is a reaction, but of course they are already casting a spell. Can you cast a rea- your reaction spell when you're casting a spell? Mm. Oh, and I was sitting there thinking, oh my god, oh my, you know, I played a barbarian. So you know, in the midst of all this, every now and again, I got to roll a d20 and miss, <laughs> and it it kind of brought home how clunky and rules laden and circumstance laden and you know effects and this and that as a rule for bloody everything yeah. and it made me think oh this is this is not the way we play it but actually dying this is the way it it is in its purest form meant to be played yeah. you know like I can ah I can do this as a bonus action ah but I can do this ah well then you can do that as a bonus action but then of course they can react as a bonus action blah 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 and yeah. our way of playing it as you know is yeah, yeah. we're a bit more what's the word hand wavy hand wavy and what, what sounds a- like fun so it's like that if someone comes into a room and thinks they're casting a spell do they have to speak to cast the spell yes they do I'm going to cast silence on them. I'd say as a games master, brilliant. That is a brilliant idea. I'm going to let you do it because it's clever and I like it. What I'm not going to do is go, "Mm, it's slightly out of range and, of course, there are certain factors here. But actually, I I think D&D's like that. It's like that. So it did make me. And after after that, because I was running Dragon Heist, after that, I think I said this at the end of Dragon Heist, I thought, I don't think I want to run D&D again. Yeah. Well, if you think uh, we've, pe- we've played 290 hours of gaming this year yeah. between us, 60 hours of that has been D&D. Mm. Yeah. Um, so we've played a lot of D&D. And it's not one particular session, but I've sort of got to the same position as you I played a monkey in yeah. and, and, and dragon heist and there's all like little subsystems and little things to yeah. measure and different circumstances that bring into uh, particular yeah. effects that you've got to be aware of and uh, knowing when they're going to happen yeah. in a turn yeah. and you realise that it is a very tactical fiddly game fiddly yeah um, I mean I, I played I mean what was strange was I had this game at Expo, then I played D&D at Owlbear. Yeah. And I really enjoyed the game at Owlbear because the person running it uh, played it, ran it like we run it. So, yeah. you know, he played it in a kind of slightly cinematic way and, and a looser way. And you can do that. But it, the, the game at Expo made me realise that D&D... It felt like, is this, is, this, is this the pure form of it? Is this how, yeah. it, this is how people play it? Yeah. And I'm not sure. I particularly it gets it got on my nerves a bit. Yeah, and you know. I think I think it is the way that you play. I mean, mm. 
what I've seen from you over the last year is moving away from that precision because that was always the hallmark as you as a player, wasn't it? That you yeah. wanted to live and die by the rules. Yeah. You, know? you don't become a rules lawyer by no. saying, no. let's be loosey-goosey with this. No. But I think D&D has kind of, you recoil from some of the pernickety yeah. substances. But there are, but there are, but this is what I mean about getting into simpler games because there are, but there are games that encourage a more fluid and, like you say, loosey-goosey approach. That, that loosey-goosey approach is built into the rules. Yeah. You know, so it, it'll say, you know, if you want to do something, this is the role you make and we'll see what the circumstances are. Whereas D&D pins you down to yeah. particular conditions and particular this, particular that. And that's certainly my experience of playing that monk, you know, that I've got yeah. so many Kai points that I need yeah. to... Yeah. Uh, uh, being count throughout and there's only certain situations in a turn yeah. where I can make a reaction or yes. respond to something yeah. and I think there was one bit where I wanted to knock something out of somebody's hand and yet there was no rules for there that. was no I couldn't well the thing the problem is that there's no rule there may be a rule but then you start thinking that maybe there's a rule there either isn't a rule in which case all these rules you're wasting your time because you made all these rules up you haven't got one for this or Alternatively, there is a rule somewhere, but can I be asked finding it? Because it's going to really slow it. Because it was quite a climactic moment in the game, yeah. wasn't it? Where you really had to knock this staff out of this guy's hand because otherwise he was going to really kill you all. But yeah. it, you think, do I want to leaf through the yeah. player's handbook and find the rule? Is it a grapple? Is it? Is it not? I don't know. And I've got all no. these uh, magnificent monkey... Yeah. Monkey, monk-like, <laughs> monkey. Fe- monk-like yeah. features yeah. That, uh, that I can harness the inner energy, mm. but I can't knock anything out of somebody's hand. Yeah. You know? I can send him flying yeah. 15 feet in the air if I want to, you know, with yeah. my abilities, but I'm going to find it hard knocking out of his hand. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like I said, I don't think it's not always the case. Like, we have had enjoyable games of D&D, and they say Elbow was, was a nice game, really enjoyed that game, but the games must have ran it like we run it but that game at Expo did, did make me think Ooh, yeah I think I, I think I've encountered here pure D&D with, with yeah. players of D&D who play it like it's written and I'm not sure it's for me Thunderface Thunderface sorry apologies was a bit off time oh is it it's you in test me it's your turn What has been your favourite grog pod assignment? What's been your great thing? Because it's a it's work for you, this, isn't it? It's yeah. work, yes. <laughs> Go ahead. It's not. Yeah. What's been yours? Um, well, it's something I didn't do back in the day, as you know. But I um, I really enjoyed watching Blake Seven for the first time. I didn't, yeah. wa- I didn't watch it as a, as a kid, yeah. um, and I think it was really good to discover that. And uh, it felt like that that person, you know, that person who uh, hadn't seen Jaws, he'd seen Jaws, and he really loved Jaws. Oh yes, yeah. And he wanted to experience Jaws yeah. for the first time, so he was hypnotised to forget to forget Jaws, his, <laughs> to forget Jaws. <laughs> well, as as a person who was discovering uh, Blake Seven for the first time. And trying to imagine you enjoying it mm. as uh, you know a ten year old or whatever, I kind of got to vicariously relive it and think, yeah, I'm seeing this for the first time. Yeah, Try and imagine yeah. what it'd be like in the seventies watching it the first time, mm. um, rather than just seeing it as me as a 
know, yeah, fifty-one-year-old man. I really enjoyed doing that. Good, oh. and, and writing the adventure for the, that we yeah. did as an actual play. Yeah, yeah. I always think about that bloke who was hypnotised. I wonder if he picked up the Jaws DVD and went, "Oh, watch this rubbish." <laughs> Never watched it again. You know, he forgot it to the yeah. point, but he's changed his mind about it. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Oh, what's Carlson Kane? Oh, what's this guy? This is feel bad. I fancy this. Well, I bet a big fish. No, <laughs> Never watched it again. And um, for me, oh, I don't know. Let me sort of think. Mm. Well, why are you, why are you having to think? I, I think I think over. the over. one I enjoyed the most probably was the one we did on Fate. Oh, right, yeah. Because uh, people say fate is a slippery system but I think doing that podcast made me kind of get to grips with it kind of forced me to get to grips with fate and how it works and since then I've run more fate and enjoyed it yeah because you've done Acton Cthulhu as well Acton Cthulhu yeah Yeah. done a bit of that Um, and also that ties into Robin Sherwood yeah it was nice to to re-watch and talk about Robin Sherwood yeah because it was such a I do have such a nostalgic feel for it and Blake's uh, I do for Blake's 7 but I, I still watch a lot of Blake <laughs> I still watch it yeah. so I, in a way it's weirdly not that nostalgic whereas Robin Sherwood I hadn't, hadn't watched for a long 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 time mm-hmm. and it was good to watch it and feel it, you realise how, how important it was yeah. and how atmospheric it is as a TV show and still is you know the uh, the Grog Squad voted on which was their favourite episode mm-hmm. of the year. Yeah. And, and Pippin um, Ken St. Andre to the post was the uh, Robin of Sherwood episode. Sensible people. Uh, sensible people. And I think it's because we forget that for us in the UK there was a collective sense that that was an integral part of yes. the role-playing yeah. experience. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, as we said in, the, in that podcast at the time, if you were into role-playing, you were watching that. Thunder phase. Oh, me. Right. Yeah, last okay. one for this bit. And then last we'll one, work. last one before yeah, I, uh, we'll have another game. Another pint. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> Under what circumstances would you watch an actual player? Under what circumstances <laughs> would you watch an actual player? Would you like to ask me that? <laughs> yeah. Um, tied to a chair with a gun to my head. And those things from Glockwork Orange holding my eye at all. <laughs> They, you don't like actual players? I don't like them, no. The only actual players I like are the ones I'm involved in, because I'm actually playing. Yeah. Yeah, no, I don't like them. Well, we took the editorial decision, didn't we, that we're not going to include no, any right. actual players. I just felt slightly hypocritical doing them, because I don't, I don't really like them. Yeah. I, I, I think I've said this before, I, I find them... They're good... I had the Delia Smith principle when it comes to actual players. You know, Delia Smith comes on TV and she says, I'm going to show you how to make an omelette or yeah. whatever. And she shows you how to make an omelette, doesn't she? Yeah. That's fine, it's educational. For me, I don't like it when it actual players drift into the MasterChef kind of territory of, why the hell am I watching people? Let's say MasterChef. Why am I watching people making food that I won't make, that I can't eat? And then watching them two fellas go, oh, that's lovely, that, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I don't know, do I? Same with actual players, why am I, why am I bothering? Yeah. I'd rather play. They're, they're good if, if you get a new game and you think... I'm not sure how this works. Then, yeah, they they do have an instructional quality. And that that's fine. I've watched the odd bit of an actual player to think right, let's see how this works. But I have to say, watch for fun, for as a form of entertainment, 
for me, no. But it's become huge, hasn't it? it Might I do, but it's not. I'm not doing it. And it's driving. <laughs> it's driving the popularity of the mm. hobby. You can't deny. That oh, not things like Critical Role. I'm not denying people like it. But you know, some people like um, grapefruit. I can't stand it. <laughs> there you go. I'm not going to change my mind. I'm too old. Well, I've been, I've been involved in a couple of uh, actual plays with mm. How We Roll podcast and uh, with uh, Red Moon Roleplaying, who actually uh, won the um, Any Award, didn't they, uh, this mm. year? And um, it, it, it was an experience that, um, it, to me, it's not like playing roleplaying games. No, no. Very quickly, um, it's almost like um, uh, being part of uh, an event yes. that's happening around you. That it's not like it just doesn't seem like playing a game. No, and I think that's. I mean, I I I don't like them because I, I just think I'm a bit bored listening to other people playing. You know, I, yeah. I think I'm not sure. I, I said maybe an instructional element to them, or maybe at times you can pick up on certain things, tips and things. Oh, that's interesting. No, I can see that, but as well, I, I agree. I think there's a part of it when I've listened to some actual players where I've thought this isn't actually actual, actual play, is it? No. Because all the games I've ever been involved in. Yeah. over the years, either as a player or a games master, they're not like this. No. It can be, seems a bit stagey. At some, not all of them, but some of them can be a bit stagey. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not, they're, they're I'm not some, convinced. It's certainly an experience and there's a certain intensity to being part of it mm. that was unusual and made me think differently uh, being part of it. But I just think, um, to use one of my off-use phrases... It's not for me. Yeah, I'm the same. I mean, I know I appreciate people like them, and I know that it, it's kind of boosted the popularity of the hobby, and that's not a bad thing. It's not, you know, it's not a bad thing that people do yeah. them, and, and fine if people want to listen to them. But I, I think you're right. I'm the same. They're not. They're not really for me. You know, it's time as well, isn't it? You know. Yeah. Listening. I, I think it's your round. Right. Same again. Yeah. All right. It starts with the dice. A handful of brightly coloured polyhedral dice on Sue and Steve's mantelpiece. Why do I specify polyhedral dice? Well, I'm not talking D6 here. Okay, hang on. D6 is how gamers... Right, sorry. D6 is how role-playing gamers refer to six-sided dice. The dice that non-gamers refer to simply as dice. You know, a cube, a six-sided die. And I do mean die. What a lot of people don't realise is that die is the singular and dice is the plural, like mouse and mice. This is going to sound pedantic, and that's because it is, but it really disproportionately annoys me when people say, pass me the dice, when they mean, pass me the die. It annoys me, but I'm trying to get over it. I'm trying to get over it because I've realised that this particular pet hate conflicts with another of my pet hates, which is people being snobbish about the incorrect usage of... By my own high-horsed argument, I have to accept that whilst the word die means the singular, the word dice is now used and understood to mean both the singular and the plural of die. Although I am not about to accept the word dices as the plural any time soon.
Right. Back to D6, meaning six-sided dice. We gamers would also specify the quantity of dice. So, for example, 3D6 means three six-sided dice, which, when rolled, gives a numeric range of 3 to 18, with a mode, as opposed to median or mean, don't get me started, score of 9. So, that's D6 for you. And that's not what started it. It started with a handful of polyhedral dice on Sue and Steve's mantelpiece. Role players use four-sided, six-sided, eight-sided, ten-sided, twelve-sided and twenty-sided dice. A pair of ten or twenty-sided dice can also be used as D100, or percentile dice. I must have been twelve or thirteen, and Sue and Steve, friends of my parents, were in their twenties. Sue's brothers were Dungeons and Dragons players. Dungeons and Dragons was commonly referred to as D&D, or AD&D, for the advanced version. Note to self, if anyone starts laughing at this mention of Dungeons and Dragons, you should pull a facial expression that says, yeah, 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 I've heard it all before, but I was still the first kid in my class who knew what the words dexterity, constitution and charisma meant. Sue and Steve had started to play D&D, and they had a set of their own dice perched on their living room fireplace. A blue D12, a green D8, a yellow D4, a white D20. And these dice looked, in Walsall in the 1980s at least, exotic. My first game of D&D was played with Sue and Steve, my dad and a couple of their other friends. And I imagined that this is how I would play, with my parents' grown-up friends. But then one evening, my mum came back from Birmingham, having visited the shop Dungeons and Starships. She brought me back a pack of my own dice and three miniature-led figures. A centaur, a unicorn ridden by a damsel, and a ranger. It's hard to describe the weird excitement I felt looking at these new possessions, and that I can still feel the ghost of now, all of these years later. It will probably sound like I'm overstating this, but this excitement must have recognised somehow the major effect that this new hobby would have on my life. I took the Dyson figures round to my best friend Boris's house, and we started getting a game together. This game would take up many hours, months, maybe even years, in fact, of our friendship over the next decade. It's fair to say that it became an obsession. We played with our friends one or two evenings a week, one day every weekend and every lunchtime at school. During school holidays, we would get as many all-day games in as we could. How we passed any exams, I don't know. On two occasions, we played solidly for 24 hours for charity. Well, the charity bit was an excuse, really. Although I do remember that Sophie What's-Her-Name wouldn't sponsor me because she thought D&D was devil worship. I don't know if that means that she thought a D&D was advanced devil worship. We played for 24 hours to take something that we did together seriously. We did it to look at each other blearily over coffee at six in the morning, grinning and unshaven. Halfway. We did it, perhaps, to take ourselves and our friendship seriously to be a gang, to all go down the pub together afterwards. For five or six of my teenage years, this game, and in fact we would have several games on the go at once, and believe me, some individual games did last for four or five years, this game was the cement that held this group of friends together. Yes, we had music, books, computer games, football and drinking, but this was the one thing that we all did together. When we weren't playing the game, We would be talking about playing the game. How we didn't get beaten up at school, I don't know. 
Then, as we all started to move away, it became harder to organise time for a game. We tried to book weekends when we would all be back in town, but they gradually became more infrequent. Our friend Ian moved abroad and we even carried on playing with him by post. He would sit at his desk rolling each sort of die a hundred times and then writing the scores down in order, then post them back to me. It was important to us that his dice rolls were used for the actions of his character. We were in our early 20s by this point. But after a couple of years of this, the game stopped. Hundreds of hours preparing them, thousands of hours playing them. We left these games unfinished. I've still got the dice, the folders, the maps, the rule books. There are a lot of rule books, the painted figures. It's all boxed up in the cellar. Every so often, someone asks me about getting a game together. Sometimes we even talk about it quite seriously. Occasionally, we even get our diaries out. But then, of course, we realise that these days, there just isn't the time. Okay, welcome back. The pub dog's gone, hasn't it? It's gone. The two pub dogs. Yorkshire Terrier, the, the big one. The big one, the, the big uh, the chocolate Labrador. The chocolate Labrador and Yorkshire Terrier. Is it my turn? I think it is. Do you want to say the thing? Yeah. Say you're better out than me. You say it. Thunder phase. It only works if we both say it together. Oh, go on, man. Do it again. Thunder, Thunder phase. Phase, phase. Phase, phase. We're going to call it phase. Right, let's have a look. <laughs> What's the most convoluted resolution mechanic you have used? What is the most convoluted resolution mechanic you have used? Oh, that's a, that's a tough one, isn't it? Mm. Mine, I've, I have an interesting story about this. Because, yeah, because when I bought... Probably my favourite game of the year that I bought this year was this two, Monster of the Week... Um, has been really good and but we might come on to that later but the other one is Troika oh yeah a really it's a really good entertaining role playing game for a variety of reasons but it has a very odd initiative system yes and when I read the initiative system I was slightly disheartened because I thought oh why oh, you know you do oh yeah. I like this up to now what you do, each character has an initiative score. So players have two. Monsters might have one, three, four, five, whatever. And you're supposed to put tokens for each player. Given. So if you, you're an initiative of two, you get two tokens, a particular colour, they go in a bag. And it already sounds convoluted, doesn't it? Yeah. Monsters got an initiative of four, it's got four tokens, different colour, put them in a bag. So everything goes in a bag, and you've got an end of turn token as well. And when that comes out, all the tokens go back in. And as, as combat progresses, you draw tokens out of the bag. So when your colour token comes out, it's your go. So it might be yours, someone else's, the monster, monster again, then you again. And when the end of talk, end of round token comes out, all the tokens go back, back in the bag. So you might not get a go, or you might get two goes in succession or whatever. And I remember thinking... Why Why have we done that? That just sounds such a convoluted system. Sounds like chucking your car keys in the middle of a... Yeah, a bit, yeah. But in play, it's fantastic. Because... I'm not experiencing this, I'm not playing it, It's very slick. Because you don't have to worry about 
okay, I'll roll initiative. Okay, what have you got? You've got, got a nine. All right, you, you go 14. That's monster's got a six. It's got some anti- anticipation as well. When, when's it my goal? Exactly. It makes it more exciting because it's tense. Yeah. Because you're thinking, you know... Okay, well, I played with, with, Neil, with Neil. Neil was playing it. I look on Neil's face when he's like, when's my token going to come out? <laughs> But yeah, you don't know the monster. No. Might, the, might the monster's got four times. Might be a monster tax four times. You know, ah, so right it's kind so. of exciting. But also, it's good because it's a fight back system. So when you're attacked, you fight back. So it's not like you're not doing anything. Ah, right. Okay. So yeah. It, I, but when I read it, I thought this is convoluted. I can't see this working. But when I played it, it I would say it's the best initiative system ever right. in any game because you just throw everything in the bag. Everything in the bag. And draw them out, draw them out one at a time. Your go, your go, monster, your go, monster. There's none of it because I hate that thing yeah. of rolling dice for initiative. It can be such a clunky thing, can't yes. it? In, co- in combat, it's like right, we're gonna have a fight. Can you all roll initiative? Yeah. Can I write down initiative? Even with RuneQuest for strike yeah, rank, yeah. it can be a bit. What's your strike rank? Okay, yeah. like, let me write all these down in order as a games master. I write them all down. You know, you don't have to do that. I suppose you've it's got every, like, you've got everybody's attention as well. In, in, yeah, is it, it is it going to be your turn? It's not like yeah. you've had your go. You, you don't know. Yeah, and it, it really, really good. It's not quite answered the question because it's it's, but it seems convoluted. But in play, it's just such an easy system of initiative. Really, really easy system. Do you know I um, I've had. Uh, Years and years of uh, playing basic ball playing and percentage based uh, system. Mm. I'm gonna make an admission now that <laughs> I I find the new Warhammer thing convoluted and difficult to get my head round. Although I have played it several times online, yeah. I've kind of I, I'm still not, not quite sure how you resolve things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the thing of yeah, well, I mean, it's like that combination of you know. Um, your the number of successes. Your number of yeah, successes. Yeah, yeah. Your success yeah. is better yeah. than this success. Yeah. Or your fail isn't as bad as their fail, therefore you've succeeded. Yes. And yes. That kind mean. of uh, thing. And also com- combination of like the advantage, tracking advantage. So where mm. you tracking your. Is, is it called have a. It's like a momentum. Yeah, you, get, thing, yeah, you do. It? You get advantage, don't you? But then, of course, your advantage can be broken by. Being defeated, so you, so if you you're have successful, a successful, you yeah. get an advantage on the next round, I think. And then, yeah. but then, if you defeated, the advantage goes. And it suggests in the rules you use tokens, but because we play online, it can be played it online. It can be a bit messy. It can be a bit messy. Yeah, yeah I know what yeah. you mean. Yeah, I think it's an attempt to uh, a bit like Pulp Cthulhu. Oh. oh. Call Cthulhu seven, yeah. and it's same rules basically. I think it's an attempt to to make something happen each round. So each and there's no rounds where people miss. It's yeah. no lot of this. You've missed. You've missed. They've missed. Everyone's missed. What was the point of that? It kind of tries to make something happen. But I, I agree with you. The danger with trying to make something happen is it, it gets complicated. It gets yeah. really complicated. Yeah. 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 I still need to get my head around it. I mm. don't know if I feel confident enough to run a game of uh, Warhammer. Yeah. Well, I, I always think it's that the thing with, with games. One thing I'm sort of slightly wary of is transactional stuff in a game. 
And that's a transactional thing, isn't it, where you're getting advantage, you're getting more advantage, then suddenly you're losing advantage. So you've got to track it. You've been given advantage. You've been given another advantage. Now you've lost advantage. Always difficult. Fate has the same problem with fate points. Anything where people are being given something and then it's taken away and they have to track it through combat can be difficult. You know, it's all right tracking power points or spell slots or hit points because they're just depleting out there during the combat. But where you're getting something and then losing something does does become difficult, particularly the more players you've got as well. Yeah, yeah. It become quite difficult to, to manage. Thunder phase. It's getting better. It's getting better. <laughs> never catch on. What programme, movie, book have you seen and thought, I'll have a bit of that? Okay. See, part of the problem this year, because we've played so many games, I've seen... (laughs) You've not had to watch the telly. I'm not not watching it. I've read games. I don't read fancy. Once you've you've dedicated your life to gaming... Yeah, there's no time for anything else. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um... Let me think. One thing that, that caught my attention is a Netflix series called Travellers. Oh, I don't know um, that one. Which is, is kind of okay. Um, and it, it's one where it's science fiction and something terrible has happened in the future. I mean, a cataclysmic event, which we won't go into. Um, and But the future, they've got the technology to send people back. A bit like Terminator, but unlike Terminator, people's consciousnesses are sent back. To oh, inhabit okay. inhabit the minds and bodies of people who would have died. So on the point of death, that person is possessed by the consciousness of a person from the future. There's no going back. They can't go back. And they have to then live undercover as as that person. So they've got the all the sort of problems of family and, you know, they might be married, they might have kids, you know. So there's one character who is a 17-year-old, but he's a very, very old man. And, of course, he's got parents and that kind of thing in high school to deal with. Um, but their mission, then, is to alter things. You know, but, yeah, the, term, the classic thing of... So in some ways, it's very clichéd. Do things now that will save the future. But the interesting thing about it is the kind of domesticity of it that you've got to live as this regular person. So you find, you know, oh, I've got a wife and she thinks I'm the same, but I'm not, that he's dead. The guy's dead. Ah, right. That kind so, of thing. Yeah. So it's a bit like Quantum Leap. Yeah, a bit, yeah. Meets a bit the Terminator. Like, a bit Quantum Leap meets the Terminator, yes. But yeah. on a permanent, but they're not leaping around like Quantum Leap. They are forever stuck. They are forever that person. There's no going back, you know. And it, it good from a role-playing perspective because it's kind of science fiction, but it does have some kind of interesting interpersonal twists to it and the idea that one of the they have certain protocols and one of them is you know you're not you're not allowed to blow your cover you cannot let people know what's going on it's good a good high concept for a one shot certainly yeah yeah that kind of thing or or even a campaign because i suppose the campaign the idea is you know you'd have to prolong prolong your kind of existence you know as a as another person that's kind of quite a nice idea. Yeah. So what? how would you do that mechanically? What system would you use? I suppose you'd go for something generic, wouldn't you? I suppose. 
Sci-Fi System might work, or, yeah. or Savage World, something like that. Sci-Fi, sci-fi System's a bit more sci-fi, isn't it? Sci- sci-Fi System as well, because it deals with that, sort of, with the strange, doesn't it? Yes, it feels like it would fit that, yeah, if you were doing that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I quite like the idea that, although it's adventure, in some senses, adventure, but it's that adventure with dilemmas, as in... You can't just go around shooting people. You're not supposed to kill anyone who's not supposed to die. You're not supposed to, you know, you have to adhere to certain protocols and yet achieve certain missions. It was an interesting role-playing thing as well. You yeah. Know, you know, that, that's that's quite a good TV show. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Mm-hmm. I've seen yeah. it. Uh, I suppose a couple of things that stood out for me uh, in terms of stealing stuff for role-playing. I really like Kingdom, which yeah. is the... Uh, Korean um, uh, kind of period drama with uh, zombies, isn't it? You know, it's saying uh, yes. it, it's yeah, yeah. It, it's uh, really well done. There's a lot of great tension, great scenes of uh, sieges, and it deals with those kind of things. Really it's well. nice. It's nice as well, I think, Kingdom, because the logic behind the zombie outbreak. There's a logic to it, isn't it? Yeah. Which we won't go into if people even watch it. But it's not just. Oh my God! The world's been overrun by zombies. It, it, there's there's some. You, it's traced back to an origin, which makes again it doesn't make sense because it's made up. But it does make sense in a fantasy way. In a yeah. fantasy way, it's it's a logical art. Ah, this is where it all comes from. Whereas so, things like The Walking Dead are always a bit like something a bit Vancian as well. I think yeah, about the yeah. nature of that. But I think the one that I, I, I it planted in my head and I started playing around with it and uh, with ideas is uh, the boys, the oh, yeah. um, Amazon Prime series mm. where the superheroes are kind of corporate. Um, so they're not very pleasant, are they? they it mm. plays with the, it, it challenges the morality. Well, of they'd that. be the bad guys in a Marvel film, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so these people who are lauded as a. Uh, you know, as the saviors of yeah. uh, humanity, uh, uh, you know, just in it for themselves. They kind of, uh, they're not, you know, altruism doesn't figure into it. They just want to advance their own, um, you know, advance their own careers, their own uh, profile, their own um, wealth uh, in in in, uh, in in America. And uh, the boys are a set of people who are resisting them, like a resistance yeah. group. Yeah. And I quite like that idea of having a group of PCs mm. who are up against powerful people. Mm. Yeah. But everybody else is supporting these powerful people. Yeah. And all the machinery of government is, <laughs> uh, is doing it. So you could have like a clandestine operation of like trying to expose them. And, uh, yeah, it's them. an interesting role playing concept, isn't it? Because the traditional role playing concept is hey, let's be superheroes. Yeah. But but the idea of well, let's not let's be normal people who have to defeat superheroes who are bad, and also society thinks the superheroes are good. It's a double whammy, isn't it? So yeah. It's not like it's not like fighting a monster to save the village. It's fighting a monster that the village thinks isn't a monster. Yes, it's doubly doubly problematic. <laughs> and there's something pertinent about that in. It's very good TV, a very good show that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed that. It's very... Despite Carl Urban's dodgy accent. Yeah, just ignore that. Is it, is it Cotton? Is it Australia? Come on, Carl. <laughs> yeah, settle, Come on. settle down on one. Why don't you just 
<laughs> just go for American. You can do American. You could have done it for American. Yeah, we wouldn't have minded. We wouldn't have minded. We don't bother. You know, don't you know? Because yeah. we don't know the source material that well. So no, it's yeah. comic book. I think the character in the comic is is English, but we we don't. Care. We, we'd let him give. Him we, a pass. We'd give. We'd wave that through. So when I was uh, playing it, I, 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 the only superhero game I played this year is uh, Worlds of Wonder, which is yeah. Chaos Ian's yeah. game. Um, from uh, way back, Paul Budowski ran it at uh, Grogme, and that was great fun. But the superheroes uh, are very underpowered in Worlds of basic role-playing. It's better if everyone's underpowered. Can I, can I punch through a wall? Yeah. No, I can't. Well, you can't. Well, you've got uh, 15% chance. <laughs> oh, I failed. Oh, yeah. failed. Oh, yeah. failed. <laughs> failed at Zero place system of failure. And I was playing around with uh, this. I think we discussed it, didn't we? How would you best replicate what's going on in boys? And I think we fell on nice black agents. Yeah. Now it's black yeah. agents. Instead of vampires, you've got superheroes. Yeah, yeah. Just, just build a superhero around a vampire template of those superpowers. Yeah. Superpowers, yeah. Yeah. And because you've got the heat mechanic there, so yeah. you know, as you're um, making, you know, making inroads into the conspiracy and uh, getting in there, also the authorities are getting onto you as well. So yes. not only dealing with the. Uh, yeah. Consequences of uh, fighting the superheroes. You've also mm. got everything, everything else bearing down on you. Yeah. So there you go. There's I, a one shot. A one shot, and I think I'm going to give it a go this year. Yeah, that, that will be good. Check out yeah. the copyright. Yeah. You have to write to them and say, "I want a basic game on you." <laughs> I don't know. Uh-huh. But I, I suppose it, it can just be free. It, you can just use the elements of it because you could have like a, a vampire who is raised to that. Public profile, could you? yeah, yeah, yeah. He's they think he's a superhero, but really, he's a vampire. They don't know he's a vampire, yeah, yeah, that's true. You, you, could, could, you could change it enough, yes, yeah, okay. Thunder phase, is it you or me? It's you, I think. Is it me? I think, yeah, I think it is. Oh, right, here we go. Here what we go. gaming resolution are you making in 2020? Ooh. After you. It's a gaming resolution. Or oh, resolutions. Resolutions. I don't normally make them, but I, I have, yeah, I've got a few gaming ones. I think maybe gaming ones I might be able to keep them. Yeah. <laughs> well, every year in these podcasts, I've kind of pledged to lose weight. And I've got a gaming one. It was a gaming one. Gaming one to put on more weight. <laughs> sitting there on your ass playing games, eating biscuits. <laughs> that's the game. That's yeah. the gamer's way. Yeah, just get bigger. Eating hobnob, less hair, beard, bigger. That's that's what you're standing for. Yeah, not been uh, successful. But there is a group of uh, the Grog Squad who are trying to lose weight together. Really, in time for the next Grog. Oh right, okay. I kind of sitting on the periphery, pretending I'm not there, lurking. You're lurking. <laughs> yeah. But I need to go on a Brixton this year and uh, lose some terry. Yeah, cotton your arm in slang. Yeah. Not just Brooklyn, cotton your arm in slang. Yeah. There you go. And Brixton Riot to lose some Terry weight. There you go. Right. Wait, is, is that it? No, no. no. My, game, my gaming resolution. <laughs> my gaming resolution this year, and I've, I've, I've pledged this mm. on the Smart Party podcast as well. Oh, right, okay. Is that each month... Oh, what? Sorry, what? You've been on theirs first? <laughs> what? The, each month this year, 
I'm going to. I've got a post-apocalyptic feel about 2020. I don't know why. Why is that? I can't I don't think know. why. Can't think like yeah, yeah. Um, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to run a different post-apocalyptic game each month as a one shot. Yeah. Um, to explore because there's so many of them, you don't realise how many mm. as, a, as a as a trope. Yeah, there's a lot, isn't there? Yeah, because yeah. you know there's ones that come to mind straight away, like Gamma World, which I'm running in January. Yeah. I think of Aftermath. Yeah, I need to do my applied mathematics degree. Yes, work. you do. Yeah. <laughs> Bring your calculator. There's so, a, there's a character sheet to make you sigh. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> thirty hit locations. Yeah. Um, and there's Twilight 2000. Again, that's very militaristic, isn't yep. it, uh, approach. Yep. But there are others. Because um, Fate, the world of um, the day after Ragnarok, which is by Yeah, Kenfite. yeah, there's different types of apocalypse, isn't there? Yeah. He could learn a lot from our podcast, I think, uh, Ken Height. Do you think so? Yeah. Do you think well, we'll nick the Thunderface thing? I don't, I don't think well. I don't, don't nick that one. <laughs> well, what about you? Uh, mine. Uh, I, I've... This year, I've bought more games than I've ever bought. More games I've ever bought. And even back in the day? Yeah, even back in the day. I didn't do very money then, did I? Um, but I, I think one of my resolutions next year is not to buy any more games next year. Because I've kind of outstripped the number I've got with the number I can run. You know the rule, if you've got it, you've got to play you've it. You've got to play it. Um, and I've, re- I've realised as well this year that there is a lot of fun and pleasure to be had in reading a game, even if you don't play it. There is there is some fun in that. Yeah. But I do think I, I need to... Um, I, I need. To, it's not that I want to buy gaming stuff, so I'm not going to... I might supplements for games and yeah. adventures for games and all that. And obviously, buy some, obviously buy some more dice every now and again, because you need them, don't you? Um, but not any more, not any more systems. Yeah. You know... I mean, I've got till Christmas, haven't I? So I might, I might sneak one in. But once January comes, no more systems. And um, and also, I think the other resolution is to maybe pick three or four systems to run next year uh, yeah. and stick to those. Because um, I've got a few few games that I'm keen to run. I'm keen to run a bit more Monster of the Week because I really enjoyed running that. A bit more Troika because I like that. And a few other games that, again, sim- simpler games... Simpler yeah. systems. Try some of those out that I bought. So it's that I think. Don't buy any more. And we're going in opposite directions, aren't yeah. we? So you're going for the simpler stuff. I'm going for aftermath. Well, you're going for aftermath. It only is a one shot. You know, you don't want to play that forever. I'm interested to say that. It will be good to play aftermath because it's one of those games we never played it. And you know, it's always sort of sat there, hasn't it? As as one of those games from back in the day. Yeah. And we've never played it. So it yeah. will be interesting to yeah. play it. But I imagine. We might just play it at once. <laughs> a couple more. Okay. Thunder phase. What's my going to? Okay. Have you had point in a game where you've thought, stop, I want to go back and redo a scene or start from a different point? The reason I put you mean as games master or as a player as a player as a, either, either either. The reason I put this in. The reason I put this in is. Um, uh, this year, did the um, UK Games Export did the seminar? Yeah, to Games Master. Mm. Uh, I was on. I was on the end, and um, Gaz made the point that you know, don't feel free to retcon to say that's not working. Go back. Let's yeah. start again. Yeah, I don't think I would have the confidence to do. That. <laughs> yeah, 
to go back and change it. Yeah, know? just yeah. This yeah. isn't working. Let's just rewind a bit mm. and have a go again. I think I've documented before in um, the Cipher episode when we talked about Numenera and Vert and what I did at uh, Albert and the Wizard yeah. staff. I kind of knew from the, the start of that one that I hadn't framed it quite right. I hadn't given them um, the nub of something to work on. Yeah. And I couldn't recover from that. And I just kind of wish I had the confidence to say, right, I'm going to stop. Let's just go back. Yes. And yeah. the previous night, somebody has said to you that this has happened uh, and this is where you'll find... Um, a solution you know what I mean I could see that people were floundering around and I didn't have the nerve to say right let's all acknowledge that you don't know what you're doing let's take well, it back yeah that's interesting that isn't it because I, I it's on a similar I mean I, I've had that experience with con games where and I think you it's a common problem with the con game. We've tried to cram too much into it. I've always I've overestimated how much we can get through, and I suppose I've sometimes wanted to fast forward and think, you know, hmm, there's some bits now before the good bit, but really I want to fast forward and get to the good bit. But how do I do it in a convincing way? You know that that sometimes happens where I think it's all taking. Everyone's having a good time, but it's all taking longer than I thought. I know there's more to come, and I want to get you to the good bit. How do I, you know, not so much a rewind, more of a fast forward. How do I get you yeah. there without it looking like I am just fast forwarding? Not yes. maintain the illusion of narrative when really what I'm saying is there's a couple of encounters now, but I, I'm just going to ignore them and move you to this bit yes. without it making it look like that. Yeah. <laughs> the illusion. But, and, but maybe what Gaz is saying is maybe you don't have to create the illusion. Maybe that's the point. You, yeah. The worry is create the illusion. Maybe. It's okay to go, do you know what? Time's running on. I'm going to get you to this here. point. And I feel quite comfortable going forward because that's part of in your GM's toolkit. It's that yeah. thing, isn't it? Saying, right, whoa, okay, let's take it back. Yeah. And how do you broach that subject? How do you broach it as a player, not only as a DM? Well, I had. It didn't happen, but, but it didn't happen that we did that. But I had a game at Expo of Monster of the Week, yeah. four players, and the guy the guy who ran it, I, I can't remember his name. I should be able to. I can't. He was he wasn't someone I knew. Um, but that was possibly one of the best games I've had. Well, not possibly. It was one of the best games I've had this year. Yeah. Because he was so kind of open to those kind of ideas of you know let's let's enjoy ourselves. Let's talk about what you want to happen in this game let's talk about what your characters would want out of this you know that kind of kind of very fluid kind of game where it did work and it was the first time I encountered the X card huh? the X card that's the thing this year isn't it the X card the X card yeah um, he, he's talked about the X card and he, he warned us you know because it's monster weeks it's horror is it horror a bit but it's not it's not proper hardcore horror but it involves monsters it's a modern day you know a child had gone missing in this scenario that kind of thing and he kind of warned us about that and said you know if people he sort of said that he said if there's things you're uncomfortable with point to the X card and I'll change the scenario 
So that I suppose that is an example of yeah. You know, if he's Stop. gone down a particular yeah. road, what I'll say is that hasn't happened. We'll take it in a different direction. Yes, so that's the same thing. And I think this this year's been it's, it's year of the X card, really, isn't it? Yeah, because one of my proudest achievements this year is incorporating <laughs> the X card yeah, yeah. into the X-Card. Uh, uh, describing what was being run on the table at grog meet. Yeah, I, th- I think that's going to be picked up. Um, Do you think all yeah. across? The, the I must admit, I was, I was worried about the X card because I think if if you're playing a game of D and D and somebody hits an orc with a sword in the first ten minutes and someone goes. Oh, I don't like violence. I'm going to X-card that. Yeah. Kind of snooking, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do for the rest of the next four hours? And in the World's of Wonder game, I played an X-card on Paul Badowski's Terrible Puns. <laughs> yes. I think I was abusing the X-card. Well, that. I don't know. Yeah. Depends how bad they were, doesn't it? <laughs> they, were, they were disturbing. Barbara Q, the human torch. <laughs> Barbara Q. Very good. <laughs> More okay, let's have another one. Okay. Thunder, Thunder phase. Oh, oh! Send it back. Oh, any buyer regret this year? Oh, send it back. Any buyer regret this year? I do. Dear God, well, you share yours. Seventh C. I bought at Expo. I bought. Well, do you know what? I didn't buy it. You bought it, and I oh, said, no. "Oh, I was going to buy that." And you said, "Well, you have that. I'll you buy me this." Yeah. Oh, that was a mistake. Um, I bought the new edition of Seventh Sea, and, and in my excitement, I also bought the two setting volumes of Seventh Sea. And oh, this old man noises. Because <laughs> um, this year, the, set, the setting, the setting Seventh Sea, yeah, is great. I like the setting. So, so what is it? It's like an, it's like an imaginary um, 18th century Europe. So three musketeers, pirates, that kind of thing with, with magic and sorcery thrown in. It's very atmospheric. It, it's fantastic as a setting. I'd love, I'd love to run games in the setting. But the second edition rules, they, they, oh, the concept, the resolution mechanic in it is so odd. And this, going back to actual players, I've looked for I looked when I got it. Uh, I looked for a few actual players, and I found one actual player where they were struggling much as I was, and another actual player where they just didn't use the resolution mechanic. Because I thought, well, I wonder why. Yeah. But it's a very odd, odd resolution mechanic where you roll d10s, and you have to get groups of ten. You have to get tens, so you can add dice together. But you have to get tens, and the number of tens you get are called raises. And let me get this right. I've had a, I've had a pint and a half now. What you do is you say, right, I, I want to um, do a particular... Do, pick. See, this is the problem. It gives an example in the rules yes. of you're in a burning room. Yeah. There's an important letter on the table. The door window's open and the villain is standing in your way. Yeah. And you say, I want to... Avoid the villain, get the letter, get out of the window and not get burned. Right, okay, so the games master then says, okay, to do that, you need uh, one raise to avoid getting hurt by the fire, another raise to get the letter, a raise to avoid the villain, and a raise to get safely out of the window. You roll your dice, and the number of raises you get, you can choose, all right, I get two raises, okay, I'll avoid getting 
you know, I'll avoid getting burned and I'll get out the window, but the villain is going to damage, hurt me, and I don't get the letter, right? Yeah. Now, the example sort of makes sense, but applying that to other situations, you know, like, I want to pick the lock of the door. Well, all right, you need a raise to pick the lock, and then what, a raise to what? There's some people behind the door. I don't, well, I don't know. Some people behind the door? Someone hears you? You bre- I don't know. It's a very odd... It's it's the narrative pushed to the nth degree. And is it one of those roll and keep things? Like, uh, Not really, no, no. You just roll and you get the raises and right. spend the raises on the action. But it's one of those systems that makes you think, I'm so uncertain about this. And I'd like, I'd like to play it online with someone who knows what they're doing. But it's one of those systems where I think I feel so nervous about run, running this because I could see this being a, a disaster. Yeah. It's so... It's pushed the story game thing so far that I'm not sure how the dice and the narrative would connect, if you see what I mean. It's got distribution from Chaos in this year, hasn't it? So mm, yeah. And they're, love, and they're lovely books. The system's great. The character creation's great. It's got like sort of tarot cards and your fate, and it. it's a fantastic game. In that you think you could really get into this, and I know people love it. But the second edition is just I don't know. The resolution mechanic makes me just recoil. I understand yeah. it, but I don't know how it would work in play, yeah. and I feel so uncertain about how it would play out that I wouldn't want to run it. So when he's fear of you know. We need to find somebody to play that with. Them, yeah. yeah, someone who's played the set. It's not the first because people have said, "Oh, yeah, it's great." But I think some of those people are talking about the first edition, which is a bit different. The second edition, and I think it has got it's kind of had mixed reviews. So there's a little bit of me regrets spending all that money because I'm not sure I'll ever play it. Yeah. Well, let's put that right in 2020. Ooh. What I'd say as well with um, you know your bio regret and my bio regret, I'm going to say uh, my bio regret is the spire. Yeah. Because I bought that because very attractive books. Well, I think I bought that. This yeah. thing, I bought it, gave it to you, and you gave 7C to me. Well, the thing is, <laughs> this is the thing, isn't it? We were at Expo, weren't we? It was towards the end. Yeah. We saved our shopping to the end. And we were like scouses in a blackout, weren't we? <laughs> Just grabbing anything. Didn't say that. I'm going to X card that. <laughs> we were trying to grab anything. Well, you feel you should buy something. You go to yeah. Expo, you go around the, 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 you go around the kind of trade hall and think, Oh, my expo I should buy something. Why? Why are we bothering with that for? <laughs> yeah. It's annoying. It's full of people. And I'm, I'm wandering around. It's so full of stuff. I don't know what to buy. But I feel that if I don't come away with something, I've, yeah. I, I've not got any loot, swag, whatever. Uh, exactly. So I grabbed uh, this uh, spire and I, I, I thought it, it's beautifully produced. It's very attractive. Yeah, all like the, the seven seas wonderfully well done, yeah. And... Um, I, I've read it, and the um, setup is appealing to me. So the spire is this great monolith, and it's kind of a dark future, mm. um, alternative uh, world where uh, you are part of a resistance movement uh, trying to overthrow the the, the, the spire. Um, but I keep reading it, and just thinking, I don't know what to do with it. I don't. Mm. I wouldn't know where to start. I don't, I don't know where to start. Yeah. And sometimes that's the first thing isn't it just to think there's all this stuff but I can't easily think how am I going to play it well it's a test of a game isn't it of that idea of when you read the rules and look at it and give it a cursory glance 
what you want is ideas bouncing yeah. around where you go this is this will work for this kind of game I could do this with it I could do that with it and if it doesn't do that I'm in trouble aren't you yeah you know that's that's the problem yeah let's do the last one Thunder, Thunder phase. phase you were less con- convincing than that one uh, sorry about that Have you felt sleepy in the middle of the session? And what have you done about it? I felt sleepy during recording some of these podcasts. <laughs> I blame you for that. Um, have I felt sleepy? <laughs> well, I think I put this question because... I felt a bit sleepy in the D&D Expo game because I was a barbarian, as I said earlier. It, you realise the thing of... All I, all I can do is hit things or... More important, miss thing. Third level barbarian. All right, here we go. Is it my turn? It's your turn. All right, it's my turn. Okay. And it's uh, seven. And I've missed. Right. Okay. Well, I put this question in because I wanted to uh, make a bit of a confession. Cool. And I don't know whether you know. I, I think you've been humouring me. Right. Do, like do you? We did have someone fall asleep during the... Was it Traveller? Years Traveller. ago, someone fell asleep online. <laughs> You're working yeah. in night shift. It's fair enough. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I'm at a certain age now where yeah. if it's warm mm. yeah. and I'm comfortable, you... I, I nod off. You have, a, have a snooze. I have a little snooze. A little I snooze. I think uh, in the time of the yuppies, they called them power naps, didn't they? Yeah. I have a little power nap. Yes. I don't I don't sleep a lot at night, you know. Mm. I've got a podcast to produce, yeah. for goodness yeah. sake, and a life to lead. But yeah, if I sit down for long enough, I will, like the dormouse, have a little sleep for a little Nappington. Come on, get to the confession. <sighs> no, there was, uh, there was a game, weren't there, that we played at Dragon Heist, and you said to me, right, tonight's the night, I'm going to press the trigger. <laughs> yeah, there's a trigger, isn't there? There's a trigger. Dragon, Dragon. There is in all those D&D booklets. There's always a point of, now it's the adventure start. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> I uh, I started off all right. <laughs> I don't I don't know whether whilst mm. I was playing I'd had a couple of brew dogs. Oh, I see. Yes. Well, yeah. And warm, warm, comfy chair. Comfy beer. chair. And the, the only bit I remember is that somebody had a fireball, firing a fireball. Yes. And and then the next thing I knew, like fifty minutes later. They managed to get themselves into a place, and the dumbbell knuckle. What was it called? The thing that they got. I can't remember because I was half asleep. The stone of Goa. No, no. The the, the big um, automaton. Automaton. Oh, the nimble right. Yeah. And didn't they? Um, didn't they get them? I, I seem to remember. Um, oh Joe, yeah, Joe and Alan came and, all the way into the temple. They did a bit of it. Yeah. Did, I were you asleep? I was asleep. Did you? You fell asleep. I fell asleep in the middle of it. Thought your screen had frozen. And I don't want. <laughs> I think I said that. I'm sorry. I had to sort something out. But I hadn't. I'd fallen asleep. I'd woken up. Think on screen. I didn't I, notice. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'd fallen asleep. I, I'm sorry. Well, this is the peril. Well, of the question. Life. The question is, what have you done about it? <laughs> Pro Plus. <laughs> Red Bull. Are you drinking Red Bull now? Stop drinking Brew Dog. Stop drinking, <laughs> drinking Elvis juice during a game. 
Hey, we've still got a few questions left. We'll keep them for the next Thunder, Thunder phase. This time next year? It'll never catch on. I don't think so either. No, no. Okay. All the best for 2020. Yes. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks to Jamie and Alex for their contributions to this episode. More us, unofficial tabletop RPG news at EN World's Forum, are running their annual poll for your favourite talk and actual play podcast. If you get a chance to visit before the 1st of January 2020, then please give us a vote. It also allows for multiple votes, so you can cast it for us, The Smart Party, Monster Man, Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice and Actual Plays, How We Roll and Red Moon Role Playing. It's a good source to finding out new podcasts that you may not have heard of, as there are so many of them out there. It's never been a better time to be a RPG podcaster. Thanks to applications like Anchor and SoundCloud, it's quite easy to produce and distribute your content. Anchor is a community builder too. Podcasters talking to each other, collaborating, sharing the work. The best I found from the Anchor community is Dave Aldridge's D Percentile and Shea Webster's Roleplay Rescue. They're both engaging, off the hoof, detailed explorations of their topics. It's harder as a listener to know what to look out for to match your tastes. I always recommend Save for Half to fellow grognards, as you'll always find something that you'll enjoy in their podcast, as they have a similar subject matter to ourselves. As does the relatively new podcast, Grog Talk. Dan and James are strictly advanced Dungeons and Dragons and enjoy rolling on tables to create their content. If you're looking for a jumping on point, then check out episode 39, which features an interview with Daniel Colleton, who was the author of Irelian. You'll understand how the language in the scenario benefits from a Geordie accent. I think I mentioned Appendix N book club last year when I last did my podcast recommendations, but it would be remiss of me not to plug episode 58, which features me banging on about the Singing Citadel by Michael Moorcock which was followed, episode 59, with an interview with the great man himself. It is fantastic stuff. I love uh, Moorcock's oft-told story of infiltrating a fascist group in London with fellow anarchists, only to discover that the fascist group was made up of other undercover operatives from other left-wing factions. The only actual fascist was a little grey-hulled lady who served the tea. Mrs. Cornelius, perhaps. Moorcock has just celebrated his 80th birthday. This event was acknowledged by Stimbot5000 off Twitter in his brand new podcast, Breakfast in the Ruins, which is dedicated to the writing of Moorcock. It is the most entertaining podcast that I'm listening to at the moment. We're planning a project together in the new year, so watch this space. Until then, please subscribe. I'm always looking out for podcast recommendations, so if you've found any new podcasts that you've enjoyed, then please let me know. I'm continuing to commission work for Grogzine 2020, and I'm hoping to have it out by the end of April. This is our annual homage 
to the zines of yesteryear, which is produced for patrons. If you want to have access to a copy, then you'll need to be a member by the end of March. The Patreon campaign is where you can drop some coins in the hat every month to cover the costs and to fund some of the other stuff we produce. Thanks to everyone who has supported us in 2019. It's very much appreciated. Without that support, we wouldn't be here. Thanks. New people have joined and I'll be giving them a shout out next time. Episode 35 will feature an interview with Paul Fricker that we recorded live at Grogmeet and will be all about Pope Cthulhu. Until then, all the best to you and yours. Adios, amigos. Thank you.